0: know if it's my imagination or not, but every time I tell, every time I talk about the haunting in South Carolina, that night when I get in bed, I feel something jump up on the mattress.
1: You are listening to Terra Signals, presented by Normal Paranormal. I am your host, Justin Bedforth. The gentleman you will be hearing from is a cybersecurity consultant from Houston, Texas. He has a daughter, a son-in-law, and a grandson, and one too many cats. Not that that's ever a problem. But most evenings, this individual can be found at a hockey bar, sipping whiskey, reading a book on his phone, or dominating with his pub trivia team. He plays Dungeons and Dragons, makes candles, and farms mushrooms. But not those kind, if that's what you're thinking. Now, as you can tell already, this individual is one very eclectic individual but he's someone I've gotten to know over the years and I really enjoy talking with him, why? Well, he is an intelligent, honest, thoughtful, funny, and an overall interesting guy. But he has also lived through an extraordinary set of circumstances in 2008, which changed his life forever. And it was after that incident that I chronicled in my book, The Spectrum, which is how I initially contacted Lawrence Miller. Now Lawrence Miller is not his real name. It's a pseudonym he provided for the book. But later on, Lawrence chose to reveal his true identity, which is Garrick Pass. And we'll be speaking with Garrick about his experiences living through that terrifying haunted ordeal, among other things. So, Garrick, welcome to the show.
0: Oh, it's so good to be here. And I have to say, as, as kind of an expert on this, you have this uh, NPR vocal quality that is just striking. You, you really sound like you're you're keeping me up to it on, on the goings of this American life, and I, I'm here for it.
1: Well, it is it is my honor and is my duty to present stories like yours with the audience. You know, there's a lot of people out there I think that will be able to resonate with your tale, with your experiences and what you've learned about it. You know, that's the most important part. You know, you've 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 grown from this. You didn't let it destroy you. You actually became stronger as a result of it.
0: It's an ongoing journey, really. Um but yeah, I'm I'm thrilled to be here. And I love telling the story. I have only told it entirely, you know, probably fewer than 10 times. And I think two or three times was was to you. So uh, the rest were in therapy. So um, but bits and pieces come out at the pub occasionally and with good friends. Uh, but as for the whole thing, you know, this is this is where it's going to happen.
1: Let's start off at the beginning of how you and I first connected. Do you remember that?
0: Was it over Twitter?
1: Yeah, yeah. I just set up my website, Normal Paranormal. And I remember putting a call out there on the internet for people to submit articles if if they wanted. And you were one of those people.
0: I did that, yes. Mm -hmm. It's been so long. And we've interacted so many times since then, I forgot exactly how it was started.
1: Yeah, you sent me an article about the dangers of living in a haunted house, which when I read it, I found it extremely fascinating. But there weren't many details included in that original story. Yet I had this inkling, an inkling suspicion that, there was a lot more to your story. And so I asked and you agreed to share it with me one night and you were rather reluctant at first. And I can understand why, but you know, you were reliving all of those moments as you were sharing them.
0: Yeah. And I do remember that. And you know, the whole process started when I started, you know, seeing things in the house, I lived there with my, my ex-wife and my daughter, uh, and my daughter was tweenish. Um, but, uh, and, and some cats, uh, some other cats, but uh, I started seeing things and really just thought I was going insane. So I um, uh, didn't have any, any real experience with the paranormal leading up to that. I mean, I tore movies much of the next guy, um, but when I started seeing things, I, I really started to think that I was just losing it. And so I didn't tell anybody. And for, you know, two and a half years of it, I was the only one experiencing things regularly. And I really just thought I was going insane. So it 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 took me a long time to uh, come out and to say, hey, you know, I'm 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 seeing stuff that doesn't make any sense, and I realize it doesn't make any sense, and um, this is why I'm generally terrified all the time. And uh, so now, what do we do about it? Uh, and then part of the therapy for me has been, aside from actual therapy, has been. Uh, telling the story in, in, in settings like this so that I can I can get it out there. And, and that's just in case anybody else is going through the same kind of thing. Um, then, you know, sometimes when I did paranormal investigations after I left the house, I uh, sometimes the most valuable service you can provide is to tell someone, hey, you might not be crazy. Um, it's remarkably validating for someone who's in it, you know?
1: You know, a lot of people tend to think that this is a fun experience because, you know, Hollywood tends to embellish a lot of things, but Hollywood doesn't need to. These stories are so extraordinary and they're so bizarre, but we'll get into that. Let's let's take take the audience through the timeline of events. You were in Texas and you got a job offer, right?
0: Right. Um, I was going to be working uh, for an insurance company in Columbia, South Carolina, my Um, My family was gonna stay in Houston for a few months while I found a place to live. Uh, So I did a couple of months in like an extended stay hotel. It was miserable. Um, I found this house on, I think Craigslist or something. It was listed on there. Um, And it was just down the road from the hotel. And I said, okay, I'm gonna go look at it. And I drove up to this house and it was um, built in the early eighties, split level home, fairly modern on the inside. Um, and this young couple with a, a brand new baby were looking to move to the other side of town so they could you know, reduce their commute. And I live in Houston, Texas, so it's not a commute if it's not 45 minutes. And there's no place in Columbia, South Carolina you can't get to in 45 minutes. So I don't... I was a little suspicious of that um, just because there's no traffic there. Um, but um, I like the house. I missed my family. And I was like, okay, let's let's just do this. There was a um, you know, the back half of the house was mostly glass and you can see out in the yard and then over the hills and there's a golf course and I don't golf, but whatever. Um, and, uh, and, you know, at the end of the day, I missed my family. So, you know, I bought the house and, um, uh, I went there, uh, the day, the day I closed on it and the other family had left and they had left a lot of stuff in the house. They had left, um some furniture that they explained to me had been in the house since the beginning, like the first people that moved in there. And it was a pain to get it out the door. So they just left it and everybody inherited this furniture. Um, and then um, the the refrigerator, they couldn't, without taking the doors off, they couldn't get it out of the kitchen. So they ended up staying there. And then there was a whole bunch of stuff in the garage and uh, the attic. And one of the spare bedrooms that was, related to like home improvement projects, a whole bunch of like new cabinets and gallons of paint and new blinds and stuff that was just left there. And, um, when my family finally showed up from Texas with all of our stuff, um, my ex wife walked in the front door and went, oh, oh no, oh no. Um, this feels weird. I don't like this. This is terrible. I don't like it. And I was like, "No, it's fine. The walls are yellow, but we can paint that. It'll be okay." I know, I know the other wall paint is terrible, but you know we have a whole bunch of paint laying around here, so we can fix it. He was like, "No, it's not the paint. It's not the paint." Later on, she started to think it was the paint because it was really bad, colored yellow. But um, we got we got moved in, and then we started to notice things that were odd odd about the house. Um, there was a finished room over the garage with a with a bedroom. That's where my My daughter initially went in the front bedroom with this bay window and it's beautiful and everything. But, um, one of the first nights in the house, she couldn't sleep because she kept hearing voices outside her window. Right. So, um, I went into the bedroom and turned up the light and I sat at the head of her bed and on the floor and, and listened. And I could, I could hear like, it sounded like whispering. And I thought, is it gravel on the road outside? Um, what is it? And then I realized we're on a cul-de-sac and there's no traffic and there's no, you know, there's if gravel's not going to make noise on its own. Um, and I couldn't I couldn't explain it. And finally, we just moved her out of that bedroom into the finished room over the garage with her private bathroom, which is pretty sweet for a tween girl. She was fine after that. She didn't experience anything else in the house ever. That was it. The only thing.
1: So let me let me rewind a little bit here when when your ex-wife first came into the 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 house she said oh no no right what what made her get that get that feeling i mean did she have like a psychic ability be prior to that
0: she's she's always been a very spiritual person um she's um native american she grew up doing a lot of the activities on the reservation so she, i felt that she was more closely tied into the spiritual side than i was i was you know really trying to keep myself out of it i yeah I, I tend to lean towards science
1: is this the first time that you saw her like express this concern or had you seen it before
0: i had never seen her express that kind of heebie-jeebie moment no you know we talked about metaphysical things and we you know watched different programs and stuff and you know uh, She's one of the people that would burn sage to, to put positive energy into a space. And I always, I was of the impression that it smells nice. Um, so that's good. But, uh, <laughs> you know, at this time in my life, I was especially into um, verifiable, repeatable results. You know, testing, peer review, um, I really, I. I I need more evidence than my own eyes can provide. Well,
1: let me ask you this. Would it be safe to say that you are not interested in this topic prior to this?
0: Oh, I've always been interested. I mean, I, but, but from the, from the standpoint of, I like, I love ghost stories. I love, um, I love any story going back sociologically that, that we have told each other around a campfire. I think it's the, um, the bed of, human interaction. I think that that that's where all of our interactions with each other start is with those tribal stories that we tell each other to make ourselves feel better, to explain this weird, stupid world we live in. Um, So since I was a kid, I've liked mythology and folklore and like I said, ghost stories, vampire legends, um, all of that stuff. But from the framework of this is the way that primitive people explained weird stuff to each other. Um, And I didn't take any of it literally. I remember as a kid, you know, it was never a problem for me to run around a cemetery day or night and, and play with my friends. You know, that wasn't ever a, um, something that was going to creep me out because I wasn't into the spooky aspect of it. I was into the, the communications aspect of it.
1: So apart from your daughter experiencing some, you know, some strange stuff, those first few days, they weren't really like nothing jumped out at you, right? Is like obvious, like, hey, there's something wrong here.
0: No, no, um, that took that took a couple of months of us being in the house. I think before I started to really let myself see things, um, and and it started with the occasional shadowy figure in the hallway. There, there was a an L shaped hallway that went from the front door and then around, and then back to the master bedroom. And um, the room where my daughter heard the voices was on this corner, and she'd go like this. And this hallway, there's a little bathroom here, a little guest bath, and then the front door. And this hallway got no sunlight. There was no way we could light it, right? there, You had to turn on a light, and even then, it would be at an angle, and you couldn't ever fully light this hallway that had the washer and dryer in it. So I saw shadowy figures in there all the time, but it was also stupid dark, and... It was easy for me to go. Okay, no, that's just that's just the door in the laundry room slightly open, and I'm going to walk right past that and go and do what I was going to do in the other part of the house. And that went on a little while, and then they started to get a little more vivid. And I guess it's um, it's almost like they, they were trying to get my attention um, because then there were there were more than one, and I would see them in the hallway, and then. Uh, for, um, after a couple of months, there was this. Um, I could sit in the living room, and and there was this guy that would walk from that dark hallway across the atrium into the um, uh, towards the garage, and he was not spectral at all. That, but he was a guy, and he was wearing a, a white sleeveless shirt and some type of uniform pants with a stripe down the leg and every day around sunset he would walk right through there and i was the only one seeing him occasionally we saw the corner of my eye occasionally he would just walk through you know Um, didn't make a noise never did anything except pass through there but you know i i went and looked in the garage multiple times before i finally gave up and like i'm not gonna find this guy and I went up into the attic because there's, was, you know, I was thinking, okay, if there's somebody in the house and he's in the attic and he comes down the little stairwell up there and then goes across to the garage, but then the garage door's closed. There's nobody in there. A whole bunch of more home improvement projects in the garage. Um, but there's no guy in there. Um, and eventually I, I, you know, I, I got to where I was so, so freaked out about it. I couldn't be freaked out anymore. And that's when I started to, uh, <laughs> that's that's when I discovered my love of craft beer. So um, I noticed that if I if I drank enough, I wouldn't see the guy anymore. So, um, which is the opposite of what you'd expect, but um, you know, I really this is not the way to handle this problem, right? I, but like I said, I wasn't talking to anybody about it. I wasn't there. Wasn't like a place you could go that was reliable that you could go. Hey, I've got this problem. Please consider me not crazy, and it's better now, but it, but it's still not great. Yeah, um, I, I would drink, and then I would see less things.
1: When you first saw this guy, your very first impression of this guy—did you think somebody? Did you think it was a home invasion at this point?
0: I thought it. I thought it was somebody. I had read a story on Reddit or something about this this lady who was having food go missing. And she set up a camera in her kitchen and she saw somebody crawl in from the crawl space under the counter and go to the thing. And I was like, okay, this is what's happening here. But then, you know, a few minutes later, I'm like, why would he walk through, you know, when there's somebody in the living room and it's, you know, sundown um, and it's and it's lit up and, you know, there's people in the house. Why would he just, and why would he not sneak? Um, so it didn't make sense that it was a living person Um, the first couple of times I thought that it was somebody, but we had enough people in for repairs occasionally that I would see, you know, workmen in and out and I didn't always know what repair was going on. So it wasn't strange to see somebody I didn't know, but the same guy every day for months and no repairs are being done in the house and that he doesn't make any sound and nobody else is seeing him was a little, that, that yeah, there, there was a reason I started drinking. I didn't have a, I, I don't have an explanation for it. And I don't know, I, he was wearing part of a uniform of some kind, but whether it was American Revolution, Civil War, marching band, I have no idea. Um, I, I just remember, and it, and it wasn't, he wasn't in a hurry. He didn't look distressed or anything. He was just going from one place to another and he did it every day.
1: Every single day. That, that's really interesting. And that kind of plays into the whole residual haunting aspect, right? Because this is, we know that this is an aspect of paranormal phenomenon where, where a witness will see the same event play itself over and over and over like a recording. Right. And was this, was this the first like visual thing that you encountered?
0: I think so. Um, we had seen some, uh, we had experienced some, uh, other effects, but they weren't like a manifestation of a, a person or a, a light or a darkness or any of that stuff. We had some yeah, weird things in the house, but no, this was the this was the first guy.
1: Did he ever look over at you?
0: No. No. It was like a VCR recording of a guy walking. I mean it was the same and I didn't ever try to stop him or stand in the way. I mean I could have, but really I was at this point I thought I was going insane. And I I didn't, I didn't want to see him. I didn't want to know more about this. I wanted it to stop and I didn't have a resource to help with that.
1: Did you, uh, did you talk with, with your ex-wife or your daughter about this?
0: Not at this point. No. Uh, it took, it took two and a half years of the three that we lived there for me to actually bring it up. Um, which is, um, I mean, it wasn't fun for me, but I i really I have to tell you and the listeners, this is not the way to handle it. You've really got to let someone know um, because it ended up doing a lot of damage to me and to my marriage and to my family and uh, to my liver. Uh, so, I, you know, I, I would not recommend denial as a haunting mitigation strategy.
1: We know that there are diabolical forces at play. Some, some situations, not all, right. And one of the MOs from these diabolical forces is to basically make you seem like you're going crazy, to push you over the edge, to ultimately destroy yourself.
0: And to isolate you from your family.
1: Yes, right. And so you're seeing little signs. Again, looking back on hindsight, this is kind of a little bit, there's a little bit more clarity here. But in the moment, you're not thinking this, right? You're thinking you're losing your mind, like you said.
0: Yeah, that's that was my thought. Uh, it made a lo- it made a lot more sense to me than than hey, there's ghosts in the house, you know. Um, and honestly, it still makes more sense to me than hey, there's ghosts in the house. And I've seen some haunted things. So um, because after I left the house, I got you know, I got angry, <laughs> and I and I wanted to know, you know, at this point, okay, let's. Let's find that repeatable, verifiable, you know, bit of evidence that proves I'm not crazy. Or let me let me work at it until I know that I am. Um, So so I did some paranormal investigation after after the house. But um, there I didn't do a lot.
1: Once you realize that drinking was kind of making these problems go away, all should be well, right? I mean, you shouldn't be experiencing
0: anything else. You'd think. But um, you, you can't be drunk all the time. Um, and that's the problem. Uh, there were whole, whole parts of the work day when I was required to be sober. So, um, and when I started working from home, uh, that was when, that was when I started seeing, seeing more things. And, and when I say my daughter never experienced anything else, my, my ex-wife didn't for a long time, they experienced other aspects of this. For instance, um, that guest bathroom right by the front door, uh, was always sticky and no one ever used that bathroom. So, and, and we would mop it and scrub it and clean everything. And it was always slightly, every surface in there was slightly tacky. Like you could, you know, touch it and, and it would come back with a little poppy noise and it wasn't dirty, or, but everything was sticky, right? And then um, uh, in the kitchen, the kitchen tile was the same way, but that tile was probably installed in the eighties when they put in the linoleum or whatever we need a new tile anyway. And then, um, the little valve behind their fridge in the wall that feeds the ice maker broke. It's like a dollar 60 cent part or whatever it broke and flooded the underflooring, So the insurance had to replace the tile, um, which they did with brand new laminate, which was also always sticky. And there was no reason for it after we replaced the floor, it was always just slightly sticky. Um, and we lost um, a lot of electronics. Uh, we lost a TV, um, three or four um, DVD players, a couple of wireless routers, one from the cable company they were very upset about. Um, and when they had electricians in to look at it all the time because it looked like there was a power surge. And um, they had at one the electrician came in and he used that little you know emf detector or whatever wire tracer to trace the along the the floorboard and see where the wiring was and everything cuz we were having a weird power draw at the at the house like every every 10 minutes there was this a massive amount of power that was pulled from the street to the house and occasionally that was frying out a bit of electronics or whatever um, so he's tracing the wire and everything and he, and you know how they they run from the plugs and there's like a and I'm not an electrician but the, the wire comes into the room, it goes to the plug and then it goes around and then to the next plug and then around the next plug. And it's pretty much pretty straight line. Right. Well, in in that room that my daughter had been in initially with the bay window up front, the opposite wall from that window had two plugs and the and the wire ran up in a big loop inside the wall for no reason. It's like a waste of copper for one thing. And also there's no point in that. So the, he followed it inside the drywall with this little detector thing and was like, I don't why, this, this works and it's up to code, but I don't, why is it like this? And I was like, no, 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 And then, um, this was the guy who was like, I, I, he said, I have to call the power company. They're going to come in and they're going to look at this. And, um, he was, he was on his way. I said, I, I, he said, I don't have any reason for this to not, your, your fuse box is fine. Everything's it's a little old, but it's fine. Uh, you should definitely be able to use a DVD player without it blowing up. Um, and then uh, he was he was stepping out, and I said, "Well, maybe the house is just haunted." And he turned, he spun, and put his foot in in the door and stopped it from closing, and said, "No, I watch a lot of ghost TV, and this place is definitely haunted." And then he left, <laughs> and um, I was like, "Well, uh, nobody nobody saw that." Um, then the power company came out, right, and um, they they because this guy was working the stuff inside the house and they were working from the street to the house. And, the, there's a little box and I wish I knew that. I should have looked at the terms before I was this. Anyways, this a little box that goes from the, the wire at the street to the wire to the house. And there's a junction. Right. And, um, so they open this thing up, uh, they at the curb and there's like four or five guys crowding around this hole and everything. And I go over and look at it and, and they're like, okay, well, this is not appropriate. There's a, this may be the problem. Right. Um, at, between the the street and the house, there wasn't a, a fuse or a block. There was a stack of washers, like um, that had had arc welded themselves together, so it was a solid piece of metal. But like you can't, you are not really supposed to wire using a stack of washers. They're like they'll do this temporarily, but then it's supposed to replace something that's been there for a long time. And no, we're going to replace it; it'll all be fine, and everything. And he said, "Let's try and figure out what it is in your house that's drawing this power every ten minutes." So we go room by room. Um, They're like, turn off, you know, this this breaker. I'll turn off the power in one room, and um, then you know, wait ten minutes, and then there's another there's another power surge. So they're like, okay, turn that back on. Turn it back. Turn this one off, and then you know, ten minutes. So we go through this for like over an hour. Every time we turn it off, there's still a power draw from somewhere. And he's like, okay, just turn off the master breaker. We're gonna replace this thing and then this block, and then, you know, we'll send out somebody to look at something. They never send anybody out. But anyways, 10 minutes with the master breaker shut, the house still draws power. And they're like, why would it do that? There's nothing, there's not a a single spark in that house right now. There's no way anything in there is drawing power from the street every 10 minutes because it is, you know, and it's cut off because we're replacing this block of nickels thing, so, or washers. So like, I. Yeah, um, that's another one that, that me and the ex-wife kind of just glossed over and we're like, okay, well, there. this is one of those things we can't do anything about, so we're going to not think about it anymore. And again, um, ladies and gentlemen, don't do this. That's um, <laughs> Please learn from my mistake. This is not how we handle this situation. I don't know what the actual answer is. I just know that's not it.
1: <laughs> that is remarkable to to have professionals out at the house. Yeah measuring for electricity and there's no electricity and yet they're still measuring it like my goodness no
0: it's and that was the first guy that was like hey maybe your house is on it and i was like okay i had been thinking that but i had never said the word out loud um so maybe that electrician actually spoke it into existence he was not the not the last person to come out and and say something though because uh i continue to see things um Things continue to be weird as far as, you know, I uh, started looking into the history of the house and it had been there since the eighties. And, um, I knew it had been through a few owners, but I didn't know that it had been through as many as it had. How many? I don't do the math on it, but I, well, it was, it was at least eight different owners, um, which doesn't sound like a lot, but it sat empty for a lot of that time and no one ever lived there longer than two years ever, except we did. Um, Uh, we were there for three which was the record and a lot of these people had left in the middle of doing these home improvement projects and had left this sedimentary layers of different projects they were doing like in the garage and in uh, attic and stuff like so that was why all this stuff was left there for this home improvement projects because they left in the middle of them i think that's why some of the furniture stayed there we left in the middle of the night when we did um and, and left most everything um just because we couldn't be in the house anymore that's when, you know, when when things have gotten that bad, um, they, they went, they went super bad, super fast.
1: Yeah. And, and you mentioned, um, you know, that tacky substance, you know, in certain parts of the house. Yeah. I don't think you brought it up, but what about like the wall color? Didn't you decide that you're going to paint the walls too, because it was that ugly. We did.
0: Yeah. And we painted, um, we painted the bedroom wall, which was that weird burnt yellow, um, like a powdery yellow. It was, uh, it was an awful yellow. Um, but we painted over with maroon and, um, you know, we did five or six coats of maroon and the yellow would bleed through it for some reason. Um, occasionally you can see it, you know, clear as day through the maroon paint. So that's not, paint's not supposed to work like that. Um, we, you know, we primered over it and then, maroon paint and then yellows peeking through um, and in certain light, the, the walls would look yellow anyway. Uh, there was just no overcoming it. But we didn't consider that to be paranormal. You know, We thought that was just weird paint. You can rationalize away almost anything. Um, the stuff that I was seeing on my own was crazy enough that the rationalization was, oh, well, you're losing your mind. But that's, that's also another, you know, way to say that something's not haunted. Um, You don't have to face this stuff and believe it if you can, if it's easier to believe that you're crazy. And it was easier for me to believe I was crazy.
1: Yeah, this is, this is really crazy. Crazy. This is really unbelievable stuff. And yet it was happening. Yeah. Yeah. And that wasn't it. it. Like you said, it got worse.
0: I was, I was still drinking, um, but I don't know if it lends the story any credibility. I wasn't seeing or experiencing anything when I was drinking. It was only when I was sober. Um, so, well, I mean, if it was happening when I was drunk, maybe I should have noticed. I don't know. But, uh, the one story that I do tell often um, from there is one, one early evening I went out into the backyard. Well, I went on the back deck uh, to smoke a cigarette because I smoked at the time. And, um, I was I was sitting on the railing looking over the backyard, um, which is fenced in. And there were these three little kids doing this ringer and the rosy thing in the yard. And they did this ringer and the rosy thing in the yard over the pool and then around the side of the building. And I never saw them again. And the backyard was fenced in. And again, they went over the pool. So um, but I was in such a state at that point because it had been going on so long that I just stayed out there and finished my cigarette and then went back inside, you know? um, I think something was trying to get my attention uh, and I was being really stubborn at trying to not validate it like that. So, um, and then that was dumb. That that was really dumb. I mean, we had had pets just die. Um, Really? when yeah we lost like two cats just for no reason totally healthy cats so just die and then there was the thing with the spiders um when they came in when the subfloor flooded and they had to replace the kitchen flooring and everything they went under there to replace that line and the plumber went in he opened the the thing to the the crawl space under the house and the little wooden door and then he closed it again, and then said, hey, you have to have an exterminator out to spray under here because there are tens of thousands of, uh, what's the spider? Brown recluse. There were like tens of thousands of them on every corner of the rafters under the house and everything. And those are solitary spiders, right? That's why they call them recluses. They don't nest up and they don't come together in tens of thousands of them. So they had to tent the whole." underneath the house and and spray before a plumber could get in there safely and, and doing But there were I, mean, I looked and there were there were webs in every corner they aren't even really web building spiders they just kind of you know little tiny triangles of and then each one of them had a you know venomous spider in it and uh, ugh, ugh, i'm not a spider guy um yeah. but to know we were living over over thousands of them was a lot
1: oh my gosh
0: and that kind of stuff just just kept happening, and you know i I keep you know remembering different little things that I you know would see in flashes and you know eventually uh, eventually all of this became actually dark, and <laughs> I started to see worse things um, I guess uh my stubbornly trying to to pretend it was all in my head was you know an escalation on its own way, so uh started to see these these little beings around around the house um different places they were always um watching me but uh there were you know four or five different ones that i saw pretty regularly um these weren't human creatures they were differently shaped and um pretty vivid um pretty active they were always doing something uh my sleep had started to deteriorate um
1: how did that first emerge? Because that's not something you hear about on a lot of these, you know, typical hauntings, right? You don't hear about these creatures. So you, you first off, you see this human being, right? You see these kids. Yeah. Now you see these creatures,
0: shadowy forms, and then and then the creatures. Yeah. They, so um, the main one that I would see was um, this little two to three foot tall reddish guy bulbous nose big eyes um if he was wearing clothes i don't remember them being clothes i remember he had like bird feet um looked kind of cherubish body type but he was red he was solid red um and he would just stand places and smile at me and not in a not in a kind way um he was, he was the announcement of, Hey, you need a drink for a long time. Um, and, and he was the one that I saw the most often. I saw him for, um, probably a, a year and a half before anybody else did. Um, and I never tried to give him a name or talk to him or befriend him. Um,
1: I just want to put this out to the audience at this point, you're still thinking that you're losing your mind, right?
0: Oh, I've got, I've got so much evidence I'm losing my mind. Yeah. That's something that makes sense.
1: So when you see this creature emerge again, you're not thinking, Oh, this is paranormal. You're thinking, Oh great. This is just more evidence that I'm going crazy.
0: Yes, exactly. And, and look, it's conclusive. Now this thing isn't even real. Um, so I've seen him in the kitchen regular, like, uh, he's in the master bedroom most of the time. Um, more often than not, um, and I'm trying to ignore him because he's, to me, evidence that I'm just losing it. Uh, so, yeah, he wasn't alone. There were he had a, there was a uh, there was a big bone white figure with like insectoid features who would hang out occasionally. He was more in the living room area. Um, this little green guy. About how tall were these creatures? So the red one was two, two to three feet. Um, the th- the big bone colored bug creature was seven and a half, eight feet.
1: Really? Whoa.
0: Green guy was about four feet and I didn't see them that often. Uh, My ex-wife ended up seeing them more often than I did. Uh, The red guy seemed to really concentrate on me, but um, yeah, that um, (laughs) was a really, that was a really dark time. I mean, I, I could, I could talk about the, the soldier that would march in front of my door and I could, you know, I, Make jokes about that. I could talk about the kids in the backyard. I only saw them that one time, but um, that's kind of that's kind of creepy. Gives me chills to think about. But I saw it and then hung out for a little while to see if it would happen again. Shadow figures, everybody sees those. Uh, These things were, you know, just 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 messing with me, you know. And, And and it was I had to actively ignore in order to to just get it through.
1: Yeah. And even just hearing your story now and seeing your reaction, I mean, folks, this is someone who who really lived through this. And I can tell you're still you still have that part in your mind where you're still in disbelief. Did
0: this really happen? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, It's it's hard for me to talk about it. You know, a lot of the times um, if it comes up, I'm like, okay, hey, If you need to know the story i don't want to talk about it but here's a book i'll hand them the spectrum (laughs) see if you can guess which chapter i'm in um because the story's in there um if you have questions come back to me i'll I'll address them but you know this story is real hard for me to tell because i i in telling it feel as crazy as i felt back then um and i'm not saying i'm not crazy i've got my own share of crazy but i do think that this was not part of it this is not a symptom of that. And it took me a long time to find a therapist, right? Because usually um, I would go and they'd be, okay, well, some mild psychosis, we'll address that with, it. no, 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 hang on. Why don't we pretend for the next 50 minutes that this actually happened to me? How do I recover from it? And I ended up having to find a, a shrink that that specialized in PTSD. And they're like, okay, I don't, doesn't matter what the event was. Let's just give you some some tools to cope with it. And then, you know, and here's a space where you can talk about it and how your day's going, and, how, and that's that's what I ended up needing. But man, letting it get that bad, I mean, it, it was it's it was so bad that I literally have you know, uh, so your your adrenal gland like pumps adrenaline into your system when you're scared, and that that widens your blood vessels and increases your heart rate and let's use oxygen more efficiently and all that kind of stuff. But then it also hits your amygdala in the brain, right? And the brain processes that as, hey, you should be afraid right now, right? So um, when I finally had an MRI done, you know, a few years after leaving the house, the the amygdala portions of my brain were entirely calcified. They've been firing nonstop for like three years. So there was there's nothing. They don't they just don't pick up that anymore. I can still get startled. I can still, you know, I, I have social anxiety. I've got that kind of stuff, but for the actual creeping dread part of it, that doesn't. I'm I burned out on that. I don't have that anymore. That's why. That was one of the reasons I was really into ghost hunting after I left. Is because I could go and I could, you know, I could see is there something in here that's scarier than what I went through, and I've seen some scary shit, but it doesn't. It doesn't process the same way anymore for me. And I don't know if it's if that's going to get better, um, but it's it's caused me to have to think about everything, right? Because if you don't have basic fear functionality, then you're going to, you, you know, there's a chance I can make a really horrific decision because it's not tempered by my unwillingness to, to do something stupid, dangerous. So I have to really like, I have to think, okay, am I going to walk downstairs and get a bottle of water today? Because, you know, I could injure myself. Is that a reasonable fear? No, it's not. I'll go get the water. And then, um, you know, am I going to crawl into this cave um, alone after dark? That's probably a little scarier than I should be doing. So, no, let's not do that. I have to and I have that the whole overthinking thing. But, but, I, you know, so living in a haunted house for a long period of time can be transformative. Um, but a lot of it's not as not as fun as that haunted mansion ride.
1: The way you're describing these creatures. Yeah, it makes me think, especially like the. The one that had kind of like um, insect-like features, and then this—what do you call a green guy? Yeah. First thing that jumps into my mind is the alien entities. You know, I.
0: You know, I. There is a lot of similarities there. I, I I do think that whatever it was, like whether it was extraplanar or extraterrestrial or infernal or whatever, I think that it was. The house was on its own profoundly haunted, and these creatures were drawn to that. Um, And I don't know if they were powered by it or interested in it, or if, you know, they were enjoying watching me spiral into insanity, um, or not spiral and think I was spiraling into insanity. Whatever, it could be amusing. Um, I, I just, you know, I don't, I don't know. And since that was the breaking point for me of, okay, I actually lost it. Um, I may as well just try and see if I can get through life as a crazy person. That's when my ex-wife saw one of them. so I was working from home and I had a desk at the, you know, towards the foot of the bed, master bedroom. And, um, I would get up super early to log in and, and do whatever nerdy computer crap it is they do. And then, um, my ex-wife would get up and, and pull her laptop onto her lap and take care of morning correspondences or whatever she was doing online you know, while, the, while the room still, you know, slowly gathering daylight. It was that early in the morning. And, uh, so one morning she she wakes up, she gets the laptop down, and she's working on her stuff, and then she just curses. There's a string of profanity from the bed, and i I look over and I go, "Hey, uh, what's going on?" And you know she said, "I just saw this little guy by the by the nightstand, and he was red, and I was like, "Oh yeah, big nose, yeah, big eyes, uh bird feet, yeah, no, no yeah he's he's a thing." And I went back to work immediately without processing this at all. Um, because we were both in, in shock, right? I mean, she had just seen something I had just dismissed it as normal. And then at the same time I was processing, okay, this thing is real because I'm not the only one that's seeing it now. Maybe I'm not crazy. And that means the whole paranormal exists and a whole paranormal exists. And maybe this other thing I saw as not crazy. Maybe it's too early in the morning for me to drink. So, you know, but we had to come to terms with the fact that there was stuff going on in the house that we couldn't explain and it didn't make sense and that we were both seeing. And um, we had some very open and honest and confusing conversations uh, for the next few weeks while she continued to see, as soon as that happened, they were more interested in her than they were in me. Um, and, you know, she had me, she had me smudge the house right? And I to tell you, the sage smells nice. It does. But, you know, certainly at the time, I did not have the spiritual chops to pull that off. And if you don't have the spiritual chops, to, all it did was piss everything off. Everything got way worse after that. Um, I didn't know what I was doing. I was still on the fence about believing in any of this nonsense. And I was just walking around with an abalone shell and a flaming, you know, stack of sage, like an idiot. Um, and that that just made everything worse. And then um, she should have probably done it, but she said, they've been messing with you longer. And I was like, I don't, I don't care. Anyways, um, so yeah, she started to see those things. So, um, and, and it's, it's funny. Um, I don't know if it's funny. Um, you know, I mentioned the big glass window in the back of the house. Well, so the master bedroom was the center for activity for these little guys, right? So, and the big guy. They would hang out in there they Would make noise sometimes we couldn't see them, sometimes we'd hear them, you know. But um, uh, at night we got into this pattern where we were trying to go to sleep and there would be some kind of noise in the room. And you know, she's still coming to the terms with, Hey, this place is messed up and I don't know how to fix it. I was like, Oh, just here, have a beer. Um, so when you know, she would get up finally, she'd play about 15-20 minutes, and be like, No, I can't do this, and she'd go into the living room and uh, turn on the TV and sit, sit on the sofa. And then uh, she said she could see in the the glass reflection of the door, she could see little creatures moving around on the sofa, behind the sofa, behind her, in the reflection of the glass. And to her credit, she would get up, close the curtains, and then go and sit back down on the sofa so she couldn't see them. I mean, she knew they were there. But she would sit there and she would watch. We we got a lot of stuff from the home shopping network during that time period. Uh, it was it was it was a dark time for her credit cards. But uh,
1: so wait, so she just shut it like it was like no big deal. Like it's
0: she just didn't didn't want to see it. If she couldn't see it, then it didn't matter, you know. So she would just sit back on the sofa, watch some more TV. Yeah, it was pretty badass, honestly. I mean, really, that's gangster. But um, it's also another symptom of the fact that we were both so so deeply in denial about the whole situation that, you know, the idea that cutting the, closing the curtains on it is a, is a solution. Um, yeah. Pretty bad.
1: You know, we have all of the, all of this activity taking place in the house. We have all this activity taking place outside of the house. Right. What about your neighbors? Did you have discussions with them? I mean, how did they, what was we that like?
0: they, None of the neighbors wanted to get to know us. Okay, so the neighborhood was a little weird. Um, it was on this cul de sac, Columbia, South Carolina, that um, Dave Thomas built for Wendy of Wendy's. So her house was across the street from us. Um, she didn't live there anymore. There was a historical marker, I think, but um, he built this whole cul de sac. And the first year we were there, the house next to us on the on the right was struck by lightning. Um, and partially burned down and then two doors down on the left, um, that house was raided by the feds. They had like 20 people that were being human trafficked in the basement. They were doing. Oh my um, gosh. Yeah. Um, I think it was uh, a bunch of Vietnamese ladies that were being made to work an illegal laundromat. Um, so, uh, yeah, strange neighborhood.
1: but you didn't see any of this when you first moved in, right? It seemed like a great picturesque place. I mean, you it sent did. me photos of the property. The house is beautiful. The neighborhood looks okay. And yet there's this hidden history behind it.
0: Yeah. I mean, you never know what, what happened on the land that you build on, right? I mean, we built this whole country on Native American bayou grounds. So a lot of our problems are self-inflicted, I'm sure. But I don't have any idea what happened there, but there's something really wrong with that entire part of the world. Honestly, uh, South Carolina, we have too many Carolinas, but, um, I think, uh, in that particular case, it's a weird, it's a weird pocket neighborhood. Um, it's, it's a single cul-de-sac that sticks out into this golf course that I would walk across for trick or treating, but no other time. Um, and then, uh, so it's just, it's kind of isolated in a way. Uh, because there's a, there's a main road that cuts through town. And this is one branch off of it, that if you're not going over to those houses, you have no reason to be there at all. So there's no traffic. Uh, it's very quiet, not a lot of kids, um, mostly older families. Uh, but there's only eight or nine houses in the whole thing. So, you know, and, and you, you're really literally not connected to anything. Um, which I think is, it makes it a target for this kind of activity.
1: But did you have any discussions with any of the neighbors about who lived there before? Because you mentioned there were unfinished projects in parts of the house, you know, things that had been left behind, almost like people left in a hurry. Right. Did you reach out to them and try to get any answers?
0: I would occasionally talk to the neighbors that had the house struck by lightning. They were a delightful little couple. They were surprised that the couple that was there before us with the baby had moved out. They didn't know. Uh, They were like, well, they just moved in. I don't know why they'd move out. Um, But that's, you know, they had mentioned that people move out, you know, all the time. So, you know, she said we would have come over and welcomed in the neighborhood, but people come in and out of the house all the time. So we didn't figure we'd get the opportunity. Um, You know, it was after we moved out that we we did the actual research on the house and found out that no one had lived there longer than two years. My uh, daughter was going to public school there, and oddly enough, her... Teacher saw her dress and said, "Oh, I used to live in that house in the '80s," and and um, just said, "Let me know if you need anything," and then that was all we ever heard from her about that. Um, she didn't talk about it at all, but she was one of the owners of the house in the 1980s.
1: And it wasn't that old of a house either. I think it was built in the '80s as well.
0: It was built in the '80s. Yeah, I mean, it was the, the architecture is screaming '80s, but. Um, yeah, it wasn't an old house. It was in not as good condition as it should have been for a house that age. But then when you get people moving in and out all the time and it sits empty between those times, that age is a house pretty quick too.
1: And I don't think I've ever asked you this before, but what about like anomalous lights in the sky over the neighborhood? Dare I say UFOs? Were there any reports of that?
0: Um, There there were frequently lights. Um but there's also a military base there. Fort Jackson, I think, is right there. So generally, I think it's Fort Jackson. I don't know. There's one in Columbia, South Carolina. Um, most people dismiss those as something going on at the at the military base. Um, it wasn't a big hub for air traffic or anything. Um, but you know, uh, uh, there's frequent cloud cover, and uh, and you could see. Glowing instances over the clouds occasionally. Um, nights were usually very pretty, um, but uh, any anything that was that was like that, if I could discount it as oh, this is some kind of military or whatever, then you know that's what it is. There was one space in the highway actually where um, there was a, a stretch of about two miles, um, maybe it's i like 40, I don't know, right outside of Columbia, where GPS would just stop working. It would just tell you you were somewhere else or nowhere um, for for about two, two and a half miles where it's just not the GPS doesn't work. And that was explained to me as, um, oh, well, they do survival training in the woods out here. And so they blocked all that. I don't know if that's a thing you can actually do. Um, It might be. But, uh, you know, and wouldn't you want to have GPS available in case there's an, an accident out in the woods during survival training? I not surviving survival threat. He's kind of failing it. So, I just, yeah, that's and and you get that from the interstate. You don't have to go in the woods to have that happen.
1: Which interstate was this? I think it's forty. Um, so, Route Forty or or Highway Forty out there around Columbia, South Carolina. There is a two mile stretch where there is no GPS. That's pretty remarkable.
0: Uh, looks like it's twenty,
1: I twenty. I twenty okay.
0: I thought it was forty. Uh, 40 doesn't maybe it didn't go that far. Okay. Anyways, yeah, it's forty. It's um, yeah, that towards uh, Elgin, Camden area, somewhere out there. There's a big military base that's south of that, and then there's an area right there where it just doesn't, um, the GPS doesn't work.
1: Wow, that's that's interesting. Well, I'm glad I asked this question. And the reason I ask it is because there seems to be, well, as you know, there's a lot of overlap, a lot of crossover between what we call ufology, what we call parapsychology, what we call metaphysics, Bigfoot, whatever.
0: Huge fan of that guy.
1: (laughs) So when you're describing some of these experiences, even though on the surface to most, it seems crazy, far-fetched, like something straight out of a sci-fi book, it, it doesn't to me. It actually does make sense. And with some of the, the, the things that you struggled with as you're enduring these experiences, yeah, it, it makes sense. It's almost like a like a perfect case study for, dare I say, demonology, which you and I have kind of talked about yeah. this certain aspects. But at the time when I when I brought that up to you, you didn't want to elaborate too much. You had your own thoughts about it, about what these things could have been, asking you several years later are you more willing to discuss that theory?
0: I think it, I think it makes a lot of sense in a lot of ways. Um, and I think uh, in terms of, because um, I've been doing more research into that topic um, in, in my own ghost hunting and, and, you know, I, I I just enjoy reading about this um, other people who may or may not be crazy like me. Um, It, fits it, a pattern like there's, you know, there's a, There's an escalation that happens in these events where it starts out kind of mild. You get isolated from your family. You start to doubt your own sanity. You, you know, you move into behaviors that are risky or problematic. And then by the time you really need help and you're too deep in, you look like a crazy person and no one's willing to help you. Um, All of that fits into what happened to me. Um, Now, what that means, as far as like, is it a demon? Is it an alien? Is it, you know, I I, I don't know. Um, but if that's whatever we're calling it, um, I feel like it's not Bigfoot because he would not do that. But, um, Bigfoot's a good guy. Um, <laughs> I just think, um, it there's, there's, yeah, I've had, I've had conversations with people in all walks of life about this. And, um, you know, my my Jewish friends are like, okay, well, that looks like a, you know, a Torah-appropriate demon, right? That's, you, that's what they look like. And then, um, you know, we had a priest at the house after the saging didn't work. Yeah, we had a priest at the house, and the priest was like, hey, have you considered moving back to Texas? It was just, you know, he... Um, there was a thing where he couldn't do an exorcism because we weren't Catholic. And then um, then we had, a, we had a rabbi in, and that was real weird because he went to rabbinical school with the, my rabbi from Texas. So they knew each other. And I was like, okay, well, maybe don't tell Rabbi Todd about this. Um, but he, he said um, that there was definitely something wrong with the house. He didn't know what it was, but you know, it, at, As a reformed jew we tend to lean away from the mysticism and and move into more practices of faith and 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 that kind of thing um and and we're trying to get away from the whole medieval witchcrafty you know uh, all of that um it's a bad look and and people hate jews enough so it was just it was too too much so he couldn't do anything about it either and I don't know that I've wanted someone to to come in and, and do anything about it, but you know the, the advice from both of them and from that early on electrician like was, "Hey, move out." Um, and for a while we were afraid that you know I guess people talk about you know entities following you and things like that, um, and if they were really as into screwing up in my life as they seemed to be, that seemed like you know a possibility. So we thought, well, is moving gonna really make anything any better? Um, and it wasn't until we had to move that we did, uh, but. Uh, so
1: you guys talked about
0: moving. We did.
1: At what point uh, was this uh, was this brought up?
0: We started talking about it after she started seeing things. Um, she started seeing stuff and she was like, hey, we still have that house in Texas. Let's go. And uh, so I was working remotely at the time uh, for a, a bank. Um, and uh, I was like, okay, i I'll go back to Texas. That's, that's great. I, you know, I, we never really got traction in, in South Carolina as far as a social group or anything like that. I still have some friends that I talked to, but you know, it's, we didn't have an active social life there or anything. My daughter didn't have a lot of friends. Like uh, the problem with a small town is that everyone's got their friends when you move in, you know, and then they don't really need new friends. Um, so, and we had friends here in Houston so we thought, we'll just go back to Houston and and then so I tried to quit my job um tell them I was moving back to Texas and they were like okay oh, hey, you know what you can just work remotely from Texas don't worry about that and we'll give you a week off to move and all I guess it was very nice very nice thank you Bank of America um but then uh we were putting it off for a little while because uh you know we wanted to get everything Packed and done and moved, and, and we had a bad experience moving over here, moving over to South Carolina because we used professional movers that were very unprofessional. Uh, so we wanted to do it ourselves, like U Haul, all that kind of stuff. And then um, uh, <laughs> one one evening, uh, I, I was. Uh, this, is, this is the hard part to tell, right? I mean, I, this is.
1: Th- this is the hard part, yeah. and And I just want to. I want to pause for a moment there because if this gets too intense for you, you know, we can, we can certainly stop. We can revisit this. Um, I just want to stress to the audience who's, who's listening here, this, this is tough. This is very difficult. And, and I can see when I interview people, I can see it on their face when they're, when they've truly had an experience, I can see it on their face when they're, You know, pulling a hoax on me. What happens is people get very emotional because they're reliving it. It's, and it's, it's hard to process because you're not just enduring it, you are surviving it. And in the case with you, Garrick, you were fighting for your life. I mean, this was a situation that had culminated to a point where you weren't sure if there was going to be another day, right? I mean, this is, this is a pretty intense situation.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I thought I was going to die. Um, okay. So, um, and, and, and when I tell the story again, my chest gets all tight and I get all tense and, and flitchy. Um, so I should get through it.
1: Here's another thing that we can do too. Since this is not a live show.
0: <laughs> okay.
1: We can also talk about something else and then I can take, we can revisit this. I, want,
0: I want to get through it. I want to get through it. Okay. All right. We're going to muscle through this listeners. All
1: right, here we go. All
0: right, here we go. All right. So it's typical evening. I'm I'm laying in bed. My ex-wife's next to me. There's fifteen minutes of weird noises and she goes, Oh screw this, and she gets out of bed and she goes to the living room to do her thing with the curtains. Um I'm laying in bed and um I'm listening to the room. I'm hearing this tick, 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 tick noise. And um I'm trying to figure out what that is, right? Is it the uh is it the vents shifting? No, probably not. Tick 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 tick. Is it um maybe the chain from the blinds. No, there's no, it's no breeze in here. It's not, I don't know, tick, 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 tick. Could it be something in the master bath, like a drip of water? No, because it's happening with a pause in the middle and that doesn't make any sense, tick, 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 tick. And I'm actively ignoring it. And then, you know how, if you've got a pet or a small child, I assume, and you're laying in bed and the the animal gets on the bed and you can feel the mattress move. Yeah. Like you yeah. can feel a little depression. Okay. So I feel that the foot of the bed. I think it's one of the cats. I thought it was a cat I thought it was a cat? <laughs>
1: that's a welcoming experience, right?
0: Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I'm not going to be alone. We're going to figure this out together, girl. And then, um, and then something scrambles up my body and presses itself down on my face. And that's not typical cat behavior. And it does not, feel or smell like cat and it's pressed my face or my head down into the pillow and i can't breathe it's just latched itself onto my head and i can't breathe and i I, my arms are pinned to my side for a little while and i I really you know i i am struggling i can't move um i finally get my right arm out um and and i just start punching the thing right and and it was, it was, it was not a cat. Okay. It was, it was there, right? Because first of all, it was there because if, I, if it had not been there, I've been punching myself in the face multiple times. Secondly, it was not a cat because it was not hairy. It was scaly. And you know how when you pet a dog or a cat and you feel the ribs through the fur and everything, every time I would punch, I would feel the ribs moving under that scaly skin. And I, punched and punched and punched and eventually it scrambled off the left side of the bed went went somewhere else and i sat up and and just screamed like i i'm not ashamed to say i i just screamed um and my ex-wife ran to the room and said what's going on and i i got out of bed i was breathing hard i you know i i had started to you know, my vision had started to go black around the edges it was is that it was on my head that long Um, and I, I staggered out onto that back patio and just smoked half pack cigarettes, um, sitting there trying to figure out what, you know, what, what now, I mean, this has escalated to the point where, you know, I, I could have been killed. Um, so we called the the kid that, that mowed our lawn and got some of his friends to come over and load whatever they could into a U-Haul truck. And we left and we did not look back. Um, was
1: it that, was it that night that you packed up?
0: We were gone two days from then. It was, we, uh, we, we stayed in the house two more days, um, just to get, just to get the U-Haul booked and to get everything in it.
1: Okay. So how do you stay in a house for two more days after that? I mean, th- you know, those are, that's two nights, right?
0: There's uh, yeah. No. Um, it was super do dumb. You sleep? Um, I, I slept where I slept every night. Um, And part of it was, I didn't want this thing to beat me. And part of it was just stupid stubbornness. And part of it was a continuing disbelief in the paranormal. Like I really wanted this to not be a thing. I wanted it to not impact my life. I wanted it to not have have massively changed, uprooted my family, caused all this trauma. You know, I wanted for that to not be the case. That didn't work out that way. It was obviously the case. Um, but, you know, it gave me two days where I could go, okay, this hasn't beaten me. And, um, you know, looking back on it, it absolutely beat me. Um, that's, it was never even a question. It was not much of a competition, honestly. I wasn't even playing most of the game. So, um,
1: in those two days, did anything else
0: transpire? No, it was quiet. Nothing happened
1: after that. I know looking back on it, you would think that that's foolish, but you know what? That may have been the smartest thing for you to do because you're kind of taking control of that situation. You're empowering yourself. You're putting you know, some sort of, well, for lack of a better descriptor, some sort of positive energy back into what would otherwise have been a negative experience, right? If you had fled that night, it would have won, but you said no.
0: I, I fought back finally after that's right. you know, three years, fought back. Um, that's amazing.
1: Yeah. That's amazing. I think that takes a lot of courage, a lot of strength, and that just shows your character too. You are a survivor on many levels. So that was, that was a remarkable, that's probably the best part of the whole story that you've told me.
0: Well, that's a new angle on it that I hadn't considered before. So thank you for that. These talks we have, they're therapeutic, man.
1: They are. (laughs) Well, that's what, you know, when I start up conversations with experiencers, I always tell them, as I've told you, it's not just one conversation where you tell me about your experience. It becomes a lifelong friendship, you know, and it's an ongoing conversation because there's different things we could think about as we learn more about the phenomenon and the mystery. We can talk about that, right? right? We can process these things, you know? you're you'll never be alone again because i'm here for you other people listening to this show are here for you you don't have to worry about that you know and that's that's why i love how the phenomenon kind of connects us together
0: it's a it's a weird support group but it works
1: it is yeah and when we get into the negative aspects of these types of cases one of the things that i've seen and then I've learned from how this stuff operates is it feeds on fear. So it's like the more you stand your ground and you say, look, I'm not going to let this beat me. Right. The more empowering it is for you. And you've you've proven that. I mean, because you're on the verge of death. And yet you stayed in the house. That's and amazing. Before that,
0: I had become less able to be frightened by it, you know, yeah. chemically, literally, as it turns out. Um, which is when they t- turn their interest to my ex wife um which I think is also interesting, um but you're right, they do feed on that on that fear and i was I was neck deep in it for years, so I was a buffet
1: and the other aspect that is that is also very interesting is you know shifting shifting away from you was your daughter it didn't it seemed to have left her alone when you moved her to that to that other part of the house, right
0: right. Right. It did. And I don't know if that was because possibly that part of the house was not part of the original construction or um, it was just separated, you know, it was really off on its own. Um, So yeah, she was okay. The cats, the cats that survived (laughs) spent most of their time in that room um, with her. So uh, they would occasionally come in they, they avoided the master bedroom most of the time because um, that was a hotbed of activity. But uh, yeah, that, that seemed to be a sanctuary area.
1: You mentioned your faith earlier in the discussion. Are you still strong in your faith today?
0: Uh, yes. Uh, people ask if I'm practicing Judaism and I say, no, I have perfected it. I'm actually fasting tonight. Um, it, it's, uh, uh, a day when we look back on all the terrible things that happened to the Jews. Uh, so I can eat food again tomorrow at sundown. Um, but, uh, Yeah, no, I'm still practicing. Um, It got real weird for me to go to Temple um, after the divorce because it was a place I went with my family and they weren't around anymore. So it was strange for me to go. And then we also had an issue where they traded out um, having um, off-duty police officers at every service to having a private security firm at every service. And it became depressing that they needed to have either of those things at every service. which kind of distanced me from uh, the the faith for a bit, um, but I've been you know I, the pandemic opened up a lot of stuff. I did a lot of a lot more research, a lot more reconnection. Um, I looked into um, some of my own Irish history. I looked into um, you know, I got really into that that mythology, that storytelling. Uh, traveled there a few times. Uh, with family. <laughs>
1: Uh, That's right. You mentioned you went to Ireland with your dad.
0: I did. I did. And for, for paranormal investigators, I I have to tell you this uh, hashtag life hack. Um, when I would go to these, these haunted pubs with my dad, because this is the first time my dad had ever been to a pub with me. Right. I was in my late forties. Right. My dad had never been to a pub with me and I, I, I'm good at pubs. I I can do a pub. Um, (laughs) don't know anybody. I'm going to leave with half a dozen friends. You know, that's, that's how you do it. Um, so my dad and I get off the plane, uh, in Dublin and we drive to Kilkenny and then, uh, we go to this, this pub called the field. And, uh, it's, it's me and my dad and the bartender, the only people in the building. And I'm like, okay, we're doing this. So, you know, um, I know the quickest way to make friends in Ireland is to, to order a, shot of Jameson and a Guinness. They know they're like, okay, you get it. All right, there you go. Um, But I. But if you ask the bartender, um, you don't ask him if the place is haunted. Um, That the life hack is ask him, hey, how haunted is this place? Uh And then (laughs) you just assume it's haunted. And then then I'm hearing stories about silverware flying around and stuff upstairs. And you know, I it was great. Every place we went, there was a ghost story. It was it was fantastic. And And then dad did this gin and tonic tour of Ireland, which was uh, was really strange, but that's what they were doing. Um, So, yeah, so he drank his way and I got ghost stories the whole way. And then, um, yeah, Um, the cute thing is when we got back a couple of weeks after we got back, I get this T-shirt in the mail from dad and it's the field. Uh, pub on Patrick Street, Kilkenny, Ireland. It's got this little logo of a clock tower on it. And I was like, this is awesome. Dad got this shirt. So I called dad and I go, hey, dad, I got the shirt. I love it. And he said, yeah, they don't actually sell T-shirts. So I went online and designed that one and had it custom printed. And I was like, that's even better.
1: <laughs> that's amazing. That <laughs> I love amazing. that. I wear
0: that shirt all the time. <sighs> yeah.
1: Jeez. But then you also went back, right, with your mom.
0: I went back with my mom yeah, so after my dad and I got back, the world ended, and uh, we couldn't go anywhere for a while. And then um, I went uh, last July to my uh, my niece's wedding, and my mom is at the table with us, and uh, she says, "So, um, you you took your dad to Ireland. When are you taking me?" And I was like, "Oh, oh, mom, I'll take you whenever." And she's, she's like, "Book it." <laughs> so, so, so I'm like, "Okay, I'll book it." And then I get home and and. Monday, she emails me or she texts me. She goes, should you book it?" I am like, "Oh, damn it! Okay, now I have to do this." So, so yeah, I booked it. And um, and mom and I didn't do the the pubs, right? We, I mean, we did we did some pubs, uh, but mostly, like, I was like, "Okay, mom, I want to do this archaeological tour of Ireland." She's like, "Okay, and I want to see all these ancient pagan sites. I want to see all the haunted. Shit. I want to see all the all, grisly, murderous, like whatever. I want to see all of the darkest parts of Ireland." She's like, "Let's do it." What size pants do you wear? And I tell her, and then like the next day, like a set of hiking pants show up, and I'm like, what's a hiking pant? But it's got it's got padded knees and it's like this rip resistant material. And I'm like, I've got hiking pants now. She's serious about this. So um (laughs) so we do um uh we we went to uh land in Dublin, we did the, the standard touristy stuff in Dublin. And then, and then we just head into the wilderness, right? We went to the, um, the, the Hill of Terra, Um, and then, um, we go to, and this is, this is weird, but there's this place called, um, uh, rough common. And it's, it's this, um, ancient, um, Royal festival site. Um, they didn't have a city there cause they didn't have cities at the time. This is iron age stuff. So, this is a big mound, it's covered in sheep now. Um, but it's they're trying to get it made a UNESCO World Heritage Site or whatever. So, um, and I know that I want to go there because, um, uh, you know, uh, like a quarter mile from the top of that, there's this cave, um, called Owenigal, which is the cave of cats, and that's where the Morrigan lives, right? Ah, okay, okay, so the Morrigan is this irish goddess in the sense that they can have goddesses it's not really it's she's one of the two ethnic anyways so she um druid um she's a fierce feminist protector of the home but she's also the chooser of the slain so like if there's a battle she decides who lives who dies um so she gets kind of a bad rap but you know she's also like a psychopomp so she's one that that ushers a spirit or a person or whatever from one world to another. And they've got a few. Um, usually it's living and dead in this culture, but in that one, it's, it's you know, reality to Tir Nanog or whatever. Um, life to afterlife, the, the whole thing. And she's she supposedly lives in this cave of cats, right? And uh, the story is that on October 31st on Samhain, um, all the monsters from Tir Nanog uh can come out of this cave and roam the countryside and that's where people dress up so that they don't get taken and that's where halloween comes from so the whole idea of this cave is that this is the this is the cave in the middle of ireland where halloween comes out of right and it came to the states and we candied it up and and made it adorable but this was this was a time of year when people were terrified of the monsters that come out of this cave so i'm like i want to go to this cave Um, and then i find this tour where you can not only go to the cave, you can go in the cave. And so um, I'm like, hey, mom, I I booked it. We're going in the cave. She's like, I'm not going in the cave. I was like, fine. Okay. So I'm I'm wearing my hiking pants. I'm going in this cave. I get this little LED headlamp thing. Um, I get plastic clothing that I can wear because it's supposed to be muddy in there. And um, we show up at this little tour guide place and Daniel... Uh, Curly shows up and he's supposed to be our tour guide. And I'm like, Oh, well, this guy's drunk. But, uh, he, he was not, um, I was mistaken. He was only Irish. And then, uh, we pile into this little truck. Um, mom's in her seventies. So we get to sit up front. It was pretty sweet. But then, um, we go out there and, and you see the hill and we see, we go to the cave and, um, you got to look this thing up, right? It's, it's, um, uh, I think I'm wearing the t-shirt from it like right now. But anyways, um, you go in and there's this, um, this druidic writing, this Agam script, uh, on the side of the cave. And then you, you go in about 20 feet and then it takes a 90 degree turn to the left and then goes down into this little area. Right. So, uh, he's like, uh, he tells us the, the story of the Morrigan and, and, you know, where Halloween comes from and all this kind of stuff. And I actually looked him up after we left and he's, He's, there's a National Geographic article about this place, right? And he's quoted in the article. This guy's like the expert on this particular archaeological site. Um, we were very lucky that he was there, um, but he's like, "Who wants to go in?" And I've got my headlamp on, and I'm pulling on my plastic pants right then, and I'm like, oh. <laughs> "So, so we crawled. because I I had made this candle, right? Like I get like." During the pandemic, you want to be on the side of the chooser of the slain. That's just, that's what you want to decide. So one of the first batches of candles I made was this like cinnamon and clove candle. It's black. It's got this Raven skull on top of it. A little, little votive. Right. And I'm like, okay, taking this into her cave. I'm going to leave that there. I didn't lose anybody in the pandemic. I got real lucky. Fantastic. I'm leaving this candle there. And then we get in, into the cave I crawl in there And, and, and we get all the way in the back and, and he says, "This is," Daniel says, "This is one of the three darkest places on this whole island." And um, if everybody, there's like five or six of us that made the trip in there. If everybody can just turn off your lights for a second. And, you know, we turn off the lights, and um, you can't see anything. You can hear the water dripping, but you can't see anything. Pitch just, oh my goodness, beautiful pitch black. And he he explains that that back in the iron age, they used to send, uh, their, like the Royal children into this cave. Like they would send them in. And then the idea was you would come out transformed, right? You would go in a child, come out a man. It's one of those rites of passage kind of things. So sitting there in the dark, I'm like, I'm not sure that I believe that, you know, monsters and demons and whatever can crawl out of this hole once a year. But I understand why Iron Age people would believe that because it makes total sense while I'm in this cave. Like it really does. And then I decided that I'm not going to leave the candle in there because the whole point of it is the darkness. Right. And leaving a source of light in there will be bad. Right. That's the, the beauty of it is how dark it is. So I still have that candle. Um, I have marked it so I don't accidentally burn it. But that's the cave that I took. Tu- that's the candle I took into the cave of cats and brought out with me. And I'm not going to say I don't feel I don't feel a little bit transformed for having done it myself, but I do recommend it. They they get like 22,000 visitors a year to this thing, and not all of them go in the hole, you know. Um, so yeah, it was a that,
1: beautiful. That's experience. the Cave of Cats. Wow, that now I see why you wanted to tell me about that.
0: It was a beautiful metaphysical experience.
1: That's that's amazing.
0: Mom waited in the truck.
1: <laughs>
0: she missed out. <laughs>
1: When you returned back to Houston, you joined the Houston Paranormal Research Group, right?
0: I did. Have we talked about that before?
1: You brought it up briefly. Okay. But you didn't go into much detail. I know that after your experience in South Carolina, you knew that there wasn't a, and correct me if I'm wrong, there wasn't really a support group there for you.
0: That's correct. That's, and I wanted one. And I wanted one for other people. Um, and I wanted my own evidence of either my own insanity or the paranormal. So I Googled it and they came up. And it was a good group of people. Really are. The first night, I mean, I had done, before then I had done my own, like, hey, this hotel's haunted, let's go stay there kind of things. But this was my first organized with a group group. And uh, they aren't still active. But I remember the first case, they took us out to, katie texas oh well i was corresponding over text with them about this thing and my ex-wife comes over and looks at my phone and she says what are you looking at and i said oh this is the inner thigh of this high school girl and she's like what and i said no 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 look there's a handprint they want me to see the handprint because there's like something attacked her in her room And, and she's like this is stop doing this but um yeah um so yeah there was this this 17, 18 year old girl who had, who had handprints on her inner thighs from having something, having grabbed her when she was in bed. Um, and the mother reached out and sent these photos, which were not obscene, except if you put that, like, this is the inner thigh of a high school girl. Um, otherwise it's just a bruise. Um, but so we drive out there. It's my first, you know, official paranormal hunt, right? Um, I mean, I lived with them for a long time and I did my own hotel nonsense, but, uh, yeah, so I've got all this gear, right. Uh, the, the EMF detectors, the laser thermometer, the voice recorders, multiple kinds. Um, you know, I, the whole, you know, there's all the gear, right? So I can either get a fanny pack. So I'm thinking, I don't want a fanny pack. Like, <laughs> how do I do that? And, but I want to look cool, like for this new paranormal group, because we've never got really gotten together in real life. So I get on Amazon, and I order this tactical assault vest, right? It's got all these pockets all over it. It's black. <laughs> it's got like Velcro all over here, And I, I load it all with the gear and everything. And it, it looks, and I, I climb out of my, my little adorable car when we get to the place and, you know, everybody gets there at the same time. I climb out as I, I, pull on this tactical assault vest over my black t-shirt with my cargo pants. And we go up to the door and the, the president of the paranormal group like knocks on the door and the, and the mother answers the door. And then she only wants to talk to me because I look like I'm loaded for bear and a, and a serious professional. It's my very first hunt ever. So so I ended up having most of the conversation with the mom, right? Um, and they were all fine with it. They thought it was funny because I got all the information that they would normally get out of a, of a client in that kind of case or a victim. And, you know, it, it made her feel at ease that, you know, it looked like I was a professional, like, ghost hunter. Like, so costuming is important, I guess is what I'm saying. But, um, And that was a pretty standard ghost hunt. The, the mother thought that uh, her... I mean, we asked, "Is there a boyfriend? God forbid, where's the father?" And the father was overseas and in the Middle East. He's an oil and gas guy, um, and there was no boyfriend in the picture. And she said that something would come out of the closet and attack her. And so he, so the mother thought that it was the um, the father's brother who who drowned in Australia when they were children, and that was the, the ghost of the brother, the little girl's uncle was following them around. And I was like, that did not sound right at all then that, 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 that there's a lot wrong with this um, why would you leave Australia other than spiders um but uh so we do the um the call and answer thing and you know the mother keeps asking you know talking like it's the, the uncle right the long dead uncle um and it's not it's not responding in a way that, that leads is to believe its uncle and then uh, finally one of the the ladies in the group asks, why are you why are you doing this to her? And you've been on these things where, you know, um, everybody's sitting in a, in a dark kid's bedroom at night, playing this background right off the, the voice recorder to see if you can understand what it is that they're saying, right? And they and they, and they play it back. Why are you doing this to this little girl? And and the response when they play it is plain as day, right? I can I can hear it. It's like, the. There's no distortion. I can just hear it. And everybody else in the room is like, I don't know, play it again. And they're like, they play it like half a dozen times. And I'm like, come on, somebody it's, it's right there. And, uh, and finally I have to, I have to say, okay, look, if I say what it is, play it again and tell me if I'm wrong. And they're like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Tell me what it is. And I say, it says, because she's hot. They play it back, and they're like, oh, my God, that's exactly what he said. And then the mom's like, that's so inappropriate. That's your niece. And I'm like, it's not the uncle. Um, It was uh, – that was a, a, an interesting experience. Uh, a couple of weeks later, the, the little girl left for college, and, and it all stopped. Um, so uh, I don't know what that was. I was worried about the little sister for a little while, but it looks like that whatever it was just stopped.
1: So it's just – the activity just ceased. It never – You guys never figured out what was causing it?
0: it No, no, we only did the one visit. And um, before we could schedule a follow up, she had gone to college and and never had the problem again. So I don't know. I I still don't know what that was. I do know that it was not her uncle.
1: Well, there is that aspect of the poltergeist phenomenon where it's tied to the target.
0: Yeah. And usually a, a young girl.
1: Yeah. So maybe it was an aspect of that. Maybe it was coming from in, internal to her. She was maybe manifesting some of these. Again, we can only speculate, right? But right, that's really interesting. Well, uh, let's get into your your tattoo because that was one of the things that kind <laughs> of annoyed the group, right? Or they uh, frustrated the them.
0: That did annoy the group. <laughs> Okay, so there's a there's a ghost show on where they do this, um, this investigation in this house in Mineral Wells, Texas, right? Um, they talk a little bit about the Crazy Water Hotel, and then they go across the street to this little house. Okay, so the Houston Paranormal Research Group um, investigated that house when it was still being remodeled. So we were there first. Um, We drove, what, four hours up to Mineral Wells to to do this overnight in this house. And this house has got every reason in the world to be haunted, right? It was, um, there was a, there was a beheading in the front yard. Uh, Children were stolen by uh, Native Americans. Uh, There was a brothel for a little while. They had, while it was a brothel, there was a deformed baby born that they just put in the attic to die. Um, oh my gosh it's got all of your textbook reasons to be haunted as hell right? so we went there we're excited we talked to the guy that owns it he's an archaeologist um, and he's putting together his wife won't stay in the house he wanted to retire in this house but he's trying to put together that his wife won't visit it so um, he has people in to, to investigate and he found like an axe head like a, an old rusted axe head in the middle of the, the living room floor one day out of nowhere while he's doing this remodeling. So we go there and um, I had gotten this um, as, as part of my healing process, I had gotten this seal of Solomon tattoo on my chest, right? And it's for protection from the paranormal. And um, it was just therapeutic, I guess, for me to get that. Uh,
1: To those who are not familiar with the seal of Solomon, what is this?
0: Um, it's a it's not Solomon old, but it's a pretty old um, system of uh, manipulation of the, the spiritual world uh, done through sigils and and sacred writings and uh, geometry, basically. So this one is a it's a pentacle. It's got uh, the names of five archangels that are specifically supposed to to be good against supernatural or demons and um and then the four syllable word for the name of god around that it's done in the right colors the traditional colors um but but it does look like a big giant pentagram on my chest i later on added some stuff to it so that i could anyways so so i get that and we go into this this house which is objectively supposed to be haunted like there's no there's zero chance there's no activity right um I spent four hours in that attic with the lights off the attic where the baby died. I spent four hours in that attic. I went through all the crawl space. Um, we went through, um, you know, multiple batteries on all of the devices and didn't get a single hit, any, nothing, not anything. And they blamed my tattoo.
1: <laughs> <laughs> it ruined all the fun. For them. <laughs>
0: it did. So I stopped getting invited to those things. Um,
1: Look, some groups—they're in it for the thrill. You obviously got into it for the right reasons to help people, but you learned a lot through those experiences. And I really uh, you did. Know...
0: And I've had—I've had—you know—I've had some spooky things happen since I got the tattoo. So you know, it's not—it's not 100% effective. I saw a ghost at the Hotel Galvez. I saw one at the Ott, um the Ott Hotel in Liberty. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, it's not it's all an in intention i think as far as the tattoo goes. Interesting.
1: You're uh you're working on a novel at the moment. What's that and, about? Um
0: so it's it's called Haint Blue, which uh is a color. Um and they in in houses in the southeast very often the the front porch uh the ceiling, the roof of that would be painted this haint blue and it's supposed to um deter evil spirits. They're supposed to see it as the sky and just go. Um so the the um, novel itself is about this ruggedly handsome uh, IT security consultant who hunts ghosts.
1: Interesting. Based on uh, somebody uh, you know?
0: Oh no, no, no! It's entirely fictional. Um, <laughs> no, I'm, I'm taking some of my some of my stories from the uh, the various haunted hotels and and uh, and stringing them together into a longer longer form narrative. Uh, so it. I, I'm, I'm hoping to to put enough realistic ghost hunting in there to make people happy and then enough uh, spooky nonsense to, to appeal to the horror crowd.
1: And speaking of the horror crowd, you've got a new... Well, let me inform the listeners, you're no stranger to creating podcasts. You've had two podcasts that I'm aware of, but now you have another one you're about to launch called Horrific, right?
0: Horrific, yes. Uh, we're going to talk about horror movies. Um and um we're gonna talk we're standard film review um but my angle is going to be to tie that into the traditional folklore which makes it scary so what what traditional story is this based on because there's nothing new um what what is it that that taps into that primal fear and makes this movie work or does it poorly not work um so you'll be doing that and and horror reviews new and and old movies um but uh, it's it's um, with with my friend who we did the two lone wolves podcast with uh, before, uh, so we're we, yeah, we're rebooting that into something that's got a little more, little more solid format than that, that was that was a little more free form than either of us are comfortable with. This is going to be standard movie reviews, and um, we should be recording our first episode this week.
1: Uh, RX, is that the Rex? Uh... Yeah, yeah, Rex. Yeah. Rex, okay. Um, yeah. Yeah. Lila, she had a fantastic podcast voice. Cause I remember doing that show.
0: She does. She's got that NPR thing like you got going on, man.
1: <laughs> well, you know, what else can we, uh, can we look to see from, from you in the future besides the podcast, besides the novel, are you going to, would you ever consider setting up your own paranormal group?
0: I, I have considered it. I'm thinking about it. So this, um, this September, I'm taking a group of friends uh, who are not paranormal enthusiasts back to the I Hotel. Uh, we're going to go to Tejas Barbecue first uh, because they have good barbecue. And because uh, the owner says that it's super haunted, they're going to let us stay there overnight if we want to, to do an investigation. I went to the men's room and saw something in the mirror uh, that was not actually there. Uh, so I'm intrigued because uh, this was the middle of the day. And then... Um, we're going to, go to the Ott, and I stayed at the Ott with my buddy Joe years ago. Um, and the Ott is a very old hotel, uh, right on the railroad tracks. It was where traveling salesmen would stop back in the twenties, thirties. Um, and I, when we stayed there, it was so old that they didn't even take credit cards. It was like you had to pay thirty five bucks cash to stay in a room, um, which tells you how nice it was. Anyways, so they they also cater to the paranormal crowd um, because the front bedroom where we stayed, um, a woman was cheating on her husband and there was a knock at the door. The woman opened the door and the husband was there and shot her dead, right, right there. Um, so Joe and I stayed there one night and we went to the next door room and we were doing the whole call and answer thing and using the, um, the spirit box. And then we did that thing, you know, where you go, Hey, here's a flashlight. If you hear, turn it on. And it turned it on, right? That was the only time I've ever had that actually work. Uh, was at the odd hotel. Um, But then, you know, it got to be two, three in the morning, we got kind of sleepy. Uh, He, he he laid down, we went to the room where the woman was murdered. Um, He sprawls out on the bed, puts a movie on the laptop or whatever. I'm I'm sitting in the chair. And then um, a couple hours later, I wake up, and I'm, I'm sprawled in front of that door right where that woman was shot. (laughs) I have no idea how I got there. What? Yeah, I had I, I moved from the the chair across the room, foot facing the door, just just sprawled out like I had been shot in front of the door.
1: And and you were completely. I have to ask, you were completely sober.
0: We were sober. We had had nothing to drink, nothing at all. Um,
1: Do you ever wonder, like, I mean, given what you've been through? That you're putting yourself in the harm's way here. That you're putting yourself in a danger with these situations, with these paranormal places. I mean, I that mean you're you're now seeking it out.
0: I'm now seeking it out. Yeah. Um. I want to see if something can frighten me again. And so far, no. Um. Not wood. Um. I. I don't. You know at some point I got to think I may be some kind of magnet for this kind of nonsense. And then if that's the case, then I may as well learn something while I'm doing it. And if I can help people, cause like that feeling I had for two and a half years when I thought I was crazy was one of the least pleasant feelings of my life. And if I can make that not the case for someone else, even a total stranger, then maybe it makes it a little bit worth it. You know? Okay. So yeah.
1: When you're talking about this subject, I mean, you brought up earlier that these things, you know, there's always that possibility that this activity can follow you. When you're just talking about this, do you ever experience weird things taking place just simply by talking about it?
0: Um, I don't know if it's my imagination or not, but every every time I talk about the haunting in South Carolina, that night when I get in bed, I feel something jump up on the mattress really? and it could very, it could very well be my imagination. Let's hope it is, but that's as far as it goes. And it's every time I tell that story. Oh my gosh. Um,
1: so tonight,
0: tonight that will be happening. Yes.
1: Oh my gosh. See, I wish you would have told me this ahead of time because <laughs> <laughs> we maybe I would have thought twice <laughs> about doing this interview. You know, this is a strange phenomenon. It has so many different aspects to it. I don't know, even talking about it, discussing it years later now, since we had our first conversation, I still don't have answers as to why this took place. I have thoughts, I have theories, just as you do, but we never
0: get any definitive
1: answers. Doesn't that drive you crazy?
0: I just want it to not be a a raw nerve anymore, you know? I've kind of given up on, on figuring out what it was. I don't think we're meant to know what it is. I'm, I'm going to still try and figure out what I'm still trying to figure it out, but I don't really have any illusions about the possibility of, of getting those concrete answers. And, you know, it gets to the point where you do this long enough and you know that, you know, there was a picture from the odd hotel that, um, the owner had where, um, There's a staircase and they had decided for some reason that if they put, if they glued jigsaw puzzles up on the wall, that it it made the ghost or whatever it was not, not as creepy or whatever. So this, this little girl's walking down the stairs and her dad's at the top of the stairs and he says, Hey, and she looks up and he takes a picture of her. Right. So this picture is on the owner's computer now. And there's, you know, there's fluorescent writing on her forehead on the, On the image itself that was obviously not it was like a laser pointer just dug into her forehead and it just says f-u-c-k just right across the forehead and i'm like okay i can't really explain this i mean the lady doesn't do computers well enough to take credit cards so it's not like she photoshopped this this is just for some reason this this image but then you know you're like what if they did photoshop it so is there a piece of evidence that you can get that's going to make everybody believe all of a sudden I don't know that there is. If we don't find a full Bigfoot corpse with a social security card on it, are we going to believe in it? I don't. I don't know that we are. I. I would like to believe the Bigfoot's real because he sounds like a real nice guy.
1: You know, this brings up another question. That I for, I totally forgot to ask you when you're going through the experience in South Carolina, and you're thinking that you're going crazy. Did it ever occur to you, hey, maybe I should try to take a photo of this, try to actually get the evidence to, no. or no
0: no i i i was out of that house when i got my first piece of paranormal equipment and i did take you know i took a number of pictures in the house um just of things in the house um i think i think i I went through some of them years ago and i think that there were a few orbs that showed up occasionally but you know i tend to think those are generally dust um i discount that kind of stuff um i took pictures of the paint bleeding a light color through a dark color because I was pissed about it. Um, but, you know, I, I didn't start really digging into the research until just before we moved out of the house because I didn't want to do any of that. I didn't want to, you know, I, I didn't want that in my search history. I didn't want to admit that this was a problem that was outside of my own head. Um, but after that, I went all in. I had all I mean, I had laser stuff and all, all the, you know, it's, it's like Ghostbusters in the living room. Um, I don't get to use it as often as I'd like to, which is why I'm looking forward to going back to the yacht. But um...
1: would you ever consider going back to the property?
0: No, no, oh. hard no, hmm. no. Um, that was a bad time for me, uh, even without the haunting. So I don't you know. Um, I get I get occasional I get occasional <laughs> job notica- noti- notices for you know, hey, why don't you? come to Columbia, South Carolina and I'm always, Oh no, I've been there. No. <laughs> no thank you. <laughs> I've I've been there, you know. <laughs> um.
1: events that have taken place in your life that you can't categorize, that you can't chalk up to as a definitive ghost experience, a paranormal experience, but unusual situations where it's left you kind of scratching your head, like, what was that?
0: I've seen, um, I remember when I was a kid, I was staying at my grandmother's house in Louisiana and I was sleeping in my mother's old bedroom from when she was a little girl and um there was this rocking chair next to the bed and i remember waking up in the middle of the night totally dark totally silent house and looking over and seeing a a woman in a white dress sitting in that rocking chair just watching me sleep and she was luminescent and i remember she was just just watching me sleep and i was you know 7 or 8 and um i wasn't afraid of that at all um I didn't think that that was strange at all. I just rolled back over and went back to sleep. Um, And I think I mentioned it to my mom and, you know, she, she mentioned the, you know, the same thing from when she was a little kid in the same room. So um, that's been years, years and years. Um, But I really think that was the only paranormal experience I ever had. If it was paranormal um, before, before everything blew up.
1: What about after this? Like, Besides with the Houston Paranormal Research Group?
0: I, I, I've i sought it out, you know. Um, so I went to the, the Galvez on Halloween a couple of years ago um, with a friend, and, and we stayed on the haunted floor. Um, and I don't know if you're familiar with the Galvez, but it was uh, there was a hurricane in 1903, I think. And anyway, a bunch of nuns and orphans drowned, like right, right on the site where the hotel is. Um, again, it's got every reason to be haunted. Um, and I s- sat up in the room, uh, my, my friend fell asleep. Um, but I sat up in the room with playing with all my paranormal gear and everything, and then, um, I went to bed and, uh, the f- foot of the bed was about even with the bathroom in the room and then bathroom door opened onto this mirror so I could see, um, the bathroom through this mirror when I was laying in bed and several times in the night. I woke up and I could see someone in the bathroom, like watching the bed through the mirror, like a dark figure. Um, and um, I should have freaked out about that. I should have gotten up and investigated, but I, you know, it happened three or four times in the night. So there would be a noise. I'd wake up, I'd look in the mirror and I would see that person in the bathroom and then I would go back to sleep. Um, so I don't know, God, again, a knock would, I don't know if it affects me the same way it used to, I don't know if I don't know if this kind of stuff has the ability to freak me out anymore, and that's why. Whenever we we did stuff with the Houston Paranormal Research Group, again, there's another one called Society that's not the, the same people. If you look that up, there's a different group, um, but the, the, they would put me. They, they put me in that attic for four hours. They put me in all the crawl spaces. I would get into the basements and I would, I would dig around through all the you know. Yeah, uh, this is where we found the human remains. Okay, I'll hang out here for four hours because it doesn't, you know, I was the one that could do that without, you know, urinating constantly.
1: Yeah, so, well, you said it, it It completely ruined that part of your...
0: Yeah, I I, I can just sit there and just, you know, I, I sat there and talked to that dead baby for four hours and um, didn't didn't get anything, didn't, you know, I, I can, it's not like I don't have feelings. I can be sad about it. I can see that it's tragic. I can be socially anxious for sure. Um, general anxiety. Yeah. That glands working just great. It's the, it's that primal fear thing just doesn't, doesn't fire anymore. And I don't know if it'll come back. Um, it could, um, it's very, you know, there's a, there's a genetic disorder that causes the same thing. Um, but, um, mine is from trauma. So there's not a lot of research into whether or not that grows back.
1: What type of advice do you have for listeners of the show who have maybe gone through a similar situation or maybe going through a similar situation? What's your best advice that you can give them?
0: Talk about it. Share your experience. Find a group of people that um, are open-minded enough to not dismiss your experiences and, um, and try to help other people because that's been the best thing for me you can mitigate someone else's trauma, then it, it heals your own better than anything else I've found.
1: Wise words. And I'm so grateful that you came on this show and decided to share your experience again. Retell it through your own words instead of through my writing. It resonates more when people can hear it through your voice. So thank you. I am honored for... to have been
0: asked. And it's very nice to finally see you. So I know, um... right? <laughs> for all these... <laughs> I can't believe we haven't done this. Yeah. We, I can't believe we haven't
1: done this earlier. Like this is just, ah, it's a no brainer, but sometimes we take things for granted. Right. Right. And, uh, and I'm sure even prior to these experiences, there was a lot you probably took for granted. Oh yeah. but, But you endured it. It taught you something different about the human experience about your life. And maybe that's why it took place, you know,
0: maybe I'd like to think there was a reason, you know, but, uh, Otherwise, the randomness just mm, creeps me out.
1: Well, would you be the same person that you are today had it not been that experience?
0: Uh, definitely not. No, but I don't know that I would be a worse person. Um, I would, I, you know, we're all broken in different ways. And I, you know, I know how mine is. I can point to, you know, several events and go, hey, this is what did that. That's, a you know, it takes a level of self-reflection that most people don't normally get but I've spent a lot of time on this. So, um, yeah.
1: Uh, interesting.
0: I, yeah, I'm not going back.
1: Yeah. Yeah. No more, uh, South Carolina. That's it. Huh? Yeah. I've,
0: <laughs> I've had enough character development. Thank you.
1: <laughs> no, no vacations out there. No, uh, no, what, no, what, what's the furthest you would get to South Carolina?
0: Um, I I don't want to go to either Carolina. I think we have too many of them. Um, I I I went to Atlanta a few weeks ago for the Shanky D's Music Festival, and that was great. Love Atlanta. Um, I might go to Savannah. Um, otherwise, yeah, Atlanta is probably as close as I'm gonna get. Maybe maybe DC. I got some friends in DC.
1: We have some listeners of the show that are from that area in Georgia. And uh, they'll love hearing, hearing about that. So.
0: Oh, I love, I, I love Atlanta. I love Savannah. Beautiful places. Um, we had the best time in Atlanta. Um, it, was, it was great. Beautiful people.
1: Amazing story, my friend. And uh, I tell you, every time I talk with you, it's, it, it's a pleasure. And, and I learned so much about uh, the phenomenon and about you. So, uh, so I thank oh, you for
0: that. Well, I appreciate you asking me on, Justin. Thank you very much.
1: Well, good luck with everything. Good luck with the podcast. Um, once it's launched, please let me know and I will post links in the show notes so that people can find you. I'll help promote that. Um, it, it, if there's any, Are there any other ways that people can get in touch with you or would you rather stay off the grid at this point? I'm,
0: I'm, uh, this aspect of my life, I tend to keep very personal, but if you've got somebody in contact with you that needs me, then please let them reach out. You know how.
1: Yep. Okay. Sounds good. Well, that's all I got now. So great. Thank you, Justin. You have been listening to Terra signals with Justin Bamforth and presented by normal paranormal. For more on this show and other topics of high strangeness, please visit normalparanormal.org or visit the program website at terrasignals.com.